Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, this has been a busy week with the Halloween episode. This is the first time we've done three episodes in a week, and the Halloween episode was labor-intensive. I am dragging ass. (laughs) uh, We've been sitting here at our editing station for... uh, Six weeks, it seems. Six weeks, yeah. <laughs> it certainly seems that way. <laughs> it's been 20 years. <laughs> we actually just finished the Halloween episode, got about six hours of sleep, and now we're back at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all for you, Damien. But we do love it, and uh, we love getting comments, emails, uh, messages from you, our beautiful freaks. It's things like this that make it all worthwhile. Cam writes, hello, lovely humans. I just want to let you know your podcast gives me life. It's such a perfect combination of funny and dark. Mondays and Thursdays have become my favorite days of the week. About a month ago, my boyfriend cheated, so I broke up with him. I remember that one of the first things I thought was, fuck, I just told him about Box of Oddities. I was so upset that I gave such a precious gift to such a jerk. But alas, it's one more listener for you, so I guess it's for the greater good. (laughs) Love you both. Cam. Oh, that's that's sweet. Honestly, that made me chuckle right out loud. Cam, come see us in Nashville. We've got a live show on the 27th of February. Tickets are on sale at uh, theboxofoddities.com. Click on the live show link. 
It's going to be at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville. I've started doing some real hardcore Nashville research, and I've discovered about 17 restaurants that we have to hit up. Okay. All right. It's going to be a busy couple of days. Yeah. I do believe, madam, you go first on this episode. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. So not long ago, I was with a group of people, some of my friends and some of their friends, so kind of like friends by association, and we're talking about things that we all love and find interesting and, you know, kind of geek talk, Mm -hmm. and... Someone brought up space stuff. I don't remember if it was talk about our solar system or a specific planet. And one guy spoke up and said, I don't know. I just don't find space interesting. What? And immediately I was like, okay. That's like saying that you don't like dogs to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't fathom not finding space interesting. So here we go. We're talking about the weather on the planets. This is fascinating. So let's start at Mercury. So Mercury doesn't have much of an atmosphere, and it doesn't have weather like storms and clouds, wind or rain, uh, because the surface temperature can reach 800 degrees during the day. Uh, And that's because it's so close to the sun. It is the closest planet to the sun. It's dry heat, though. Uh, Right. And that makes all the difference. That's what I hear from everyone who's ever been to Arizona. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is where we're going to start at the closest planet, and we're going to move our way out from the sun. Okay. The temperature on Mercury, though, surprising considering how close it is to the sun, can drop to negative 279 degrees at night. Because there's no atmosphere to trap in the heat. Oh, my God. So it's there, and then it's not. And you are subject to some very extreme conditions. I had no idea it got that cold. On Mercury. So Mercury, aptly named, but only during the day. Earth has seasons because its rotation Access is tilted by about 23 degrees, which changes the intensity of the sunlight and the length of day in each hemisphere throughout the year. Uh, However, Venus has been tilted so much that it's almost completely upside down, leaving it with a net tilt of less than three degrees from the sun. Um, Also, its orbit is much more circular than the Earth. So the Earth kind of eggs its way around the sun. Right, right, And right. Venus is like tennis balling around okay. the sun. Okay, Which prevents it from getting significantly hotter or cooler by moving closer or further away from the sun. So it's got a much more static weather system. And while you might expect things to cool down at night, especially since Venus rotates so slowly, um, its nights actually last about two Earth months. The thick atmosphere and sulfuric acid clouds um, act like a blanket, while the winds move heat around, keeping temperatures pretty even. It's like um, it's like one of those places where you go because you like that the weather's the same all the time. Though that, that constant temperature is around 800 degrees. Doesn't it rain like sulfuric acid? Yeah, on, well, it's got Venus? those sulfuric acid clouds and a crushing atmosphere. Mm. Um, it's about 90 times more pressure than Earth. Wow. Yeah. Wow. P.S. Most of this information came from NASA.gov, the Caltech space blog, uh, Wikipedia, and Universe Today. At our furthest point from Venus, 
We are about 162 million miles. But at our closest point, we're only about 24 million miles, which really goes to show uh, what that rotation around the sun means. Uh, It's just such an extreme distance uh, from furthest to closest. Now, when we're talking about Mars... Our close point to Mars is about 33.9 million miles. Mars is interesting because it has a lot of similarities to Earth, such as polar ice caps, seasonal changes, and observable uh, weather patterns. The Mars Orbiter Camera data, which uh, began in March of 1999 and covered about two and a half Martian years, show that Martian weather tends to be more repeatable and more predictable than Earth's, though. And they think that's because Mars lacks oceans, so it doesn't have that additional layer um, that would provide interannual changes. Did you know that there is iron in Mars's atmosphere? Iron in the atmosphere. That contributes to the redness of the planet, or why it appears to be red. Sounds worse than menthol cigarettes. Yeah, it'd be tough on the breathing system. Um, also, I had I had read recently that uh, in 2004, one of our probes detected uh, snow at night. It was actually snowing. Right. And that's the thing. is, It's estimated that Mars has not seen rain in millions of years. However, it does snow occasionally that's, in the higher altitudes. That blows my mind. Uh, Mars is a cold planet with average temperatures at around minus 80 degrees. The real problem with Mars, though, is it's got a real radiation problem, sure. BT-dubs, uh, because of its super thin atmosphere. Hey, Jupiter. Not weather-related, but I found this super interesting, and I'd never heard this before, but I have to share. If Jupiter, NASA estimates, had been about 80 times bigger, Mm -hmm. it would have been a star. Really? Yeah. So it's a failed star. It's just a... It's a... Well, I mean, failed is kind of... Yeah, that sounds... Perhaps it chose not to be a star, and that's fine. (laughs) It's a planet as a lifestyle choice. Sure. Um, Jupiter is called a gas giant planet. Its atmosphere is made up mostly of hydrogen gas and helium gas like the sun. The planet's covered in thick red, brown, yellow, and white clouds, and those clouds make it appear like it has stripes. In my brain when I was young, Jupiter was, it was like, you know how the Grand Canyon has the the, the layers of, you can see like strata. The, the strata, yeah. and it, that's how I figured all of Jupiter looked. Was those layers of oh, color see. and <laughs> land? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, um, one of Jupiter's most famous features is the Great Red Spot, and that is a giant spinning storm which resembles a hurricane. At its widest point, it's about three and a half times the diameter of Earth. Good God. The temperature of the clouds on Jupiter is about minus 145. Uh, Celsius, that's minus 134 degrees Fahrenheit. But near the center, it's much, much hotter. The core temperature might be about 24,000 degrees Celsius. That's 43,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hotter than the sun. What? Wow. That doesn't even make any sense. Now, the big red storm, Mm -hmm. which sounds like the name of a college football team, has been raging for... How long now? I, I remember Carl Sagan saying something about this in, in the original Cosmos. I know it's let's, thousands of years, yeah, but I don't out. know exactly. Okay, according to Space.com, the massive storm larger than Earth itself was first spotted in 1830. 
and observations from the 1600s also revealed a giant spot on Jupiter's surface that uh, may have been the same storm system. That suggests Jupiter's great red spot, or the GRS, has been raging for at least centuries. They say, according to this article, that it could disappear within 20 years. Really? Yeah. They say in a decade or two, it, uh, it may become the great red circle. The center of the storm may dissipate by then. Ah. Interesting. Yeah, so unlike rocky planets, which have clearly defined uh, difference between atmosphere and surface, most gas giants don't have any surface. Uh, their atmospheres simply become gradually denser uh, toward the core, which means that you can't, quote unquote, land on any of these planets. Hmm. So whether or not their weather is moot, we're never going to get to hang out on Jupiter, so does it matter? They never say never. I think it's interesting. Saturn. Saturn's got an average temperature of minus 288 degrees Fahrenheit. Saturn is uh, pretty cool, though uh, there are some small differences as one travels from the equator to the poles. Much of Saturn's temperature variation is horizontal rather than vertical, uh, this is because wow. most of the planet's heat actually comes from its interior rather than from the sun. Interesting. It's too far from the sun to get its heat from there, so it gets its heat from its core, which I think is a great lesson about self-love. <laughs> it really is. Now, is that due to uh, volcanic activity, do you think? Or it must be. Uranus or Uranus. <laughs> Unlike other gas giants, uh, Uranus most likely boasts a rocky core rather than a gaseous one. Uh, temperatures inside Uranus may reach 8,500 degrees, yeah. which sounds warm, mm -hmm. but it's actually cooler than other planets. Uranus is... <laughs> Uranus is... <t> <laughs> Uranus is tipped on its side, and it experiences seasons that last over 20 years. The temperatures between summer and winter don't differ greatly because the planet's so far from the sun. Again, it gets most of its heat from its interior. Near the cloud tops, the temperature of Uranus is negative 357 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I'd heard that there are rings around Uranus. Is that true? Yes. Uh -huh. But um, science now says that it's not healthy to bleach Uranus. <laughs> Something about weakening the... Anyway. The atmosphere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we, eight? <laughs> and finally, Neptune. Neptune has the wildest and strangest weather in, in what we know of the solar system. It has huge storms with extremely high winds. Neptune's winds can reach up to 1,500 miles per hour. Holy crap! That's the fastest planetary winds detected in our solar system. Its atmosphere has dark spots, which come and go, and bright cirrus-like clouds, which change rapidly. Neptune has an average temperature of negative 353 degrees Fahrenheit. So as we've mentioned, on Earth, um, sun drives our weather for the most part. You know, the oceans also play a part. Uh, but Neptune is actually so far away from the sun, it receives a thousand times less sunlight than Earth does. How Neptune actually gets the energy for such intense weather is still a mystery to science. 
I love science mysteries. Me too. That is fascinating. And uh, that's where I wanted to end it on something that we are yeah. still have to research is because we sure. we don't know. Yeah. And I couldn't help but notice that you're snubbing Pluto like NASA and everybody else. Like, oh no, we're going to take away your planetary status. I debated on that long and hard. Did you? I did. But mostly I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I was like, hey, one last planet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. It began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It's become that thing in the middle. Well, as we mentioned, uh, we've been pretty much sitting at the uh, editing station for days now. And uh, it's been a long week producing three episodes of The Box of Oddities. So we didn't really want to try too hard on today's Thing in the Middle. I feel like this is amazing nonetheless. Today on The Thing in the Middle, presidential facial hair, The Box of Oddities official power ranking. Number five, Rutherford B. Hayes. I don't know how to describe this even. I don't know the terms for beards. How am I going to talk about this if I don't know the terms for beards? Rutherford B. Hayes had one of those classic beards that looks like it was bought at a costume store. You know, it's long mm-hmm. and it has the sideburns, so it looks like you would attach it at the ears. It's like a ZZ Top beard. Yes. Yeah. But well-groomed. Well done, Rutherford B. Hayes. Number four, Martin Van Buren. Um, wow, look at those chops. And... He's bald on the top, but he has hair on the side, so it's like his chops blend into his hair on the side of his head, so he looks like some sort of rare exotic bird. 100% my favorite presidential facial hair right there. It's magic. Number three, Chester A. Arthur. Again, an interesting side chop that makes its way swooping back upward toward a mustache that looks as though... Something happened to the rest of his facial hair unexpectedly. (laughs) Like his razor slipped? You know, if he had continued that swooping sideburn into his mustache, it would have been very uh, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Certainly in that same category. Number two, Teddy Roosevelt. Two words, porn stash. (laughs) Indeed. And number one, Ulysses S. Grant. Yes. This beard, at first glance, may not seem exceptional. So well-groomed, though. Such a lovely smattering of silver fox in there. It alludes to the years spent on the battlefield reuniting a nation. I think it alludes to years spent in front of a shaving mirror. So well taken care of. He's extremely well-coiffed. Agreed. Well done, Ulysses. Golf clap for Ulysses. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I want to plan a wedding. You planned a great wedding. Thank you. It happened to be ours. The only thing that was wrong with our wedding day was <gasps> that it was too dang hot and my shoes melted. All right. Yes, your shoes did melt. <laughs> that was a problem. There's no way we could have foreseen that. There were chunks of my shoes all over the dance floor. It was embarrassing. And it's a long story. I'll tell you about it later. There are so many parts to a wedding, though. And that's why we love Zola. Zola, the wedding company that will do anything for love, is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. So with Zola, they take the stress out of wedding planning. They've got a free wedding website for you. Yes. 
your dream wedding registry affordable. Save the dates and invitations, easy to use planning tools, everything you need to plan your wedding right there. So like we had a wedding website and we had a registry and we had the place where we got all of our stuff for the wedding, but it was all in different places. Sure. Zola puts it all together for you. In one convenient online location. You can start with a free wedding website. It is so easy. It takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Over a hundred beautiful wedding website designs to choose from uh, that fit any couple style and every type of wedding. This is what I love. A FAQ section, frequently asked questions section will help address those awkward questions like, can I bring my kids to your wedding? Yeah. Or do I have a plus one? Are we going to be boozing it up? Mm -hmm. These are important questions and not things that are like couth to talk about. Mm -hmm. You can put it on your FAQs. And getting back to the registry, you can put that right on your website so guests can get all the details that they need and get your wedding gift in one convenient and I might add beautiful place. We love Zola. I wish we had had that when we got married three years ago. Me too, especially since you can create a funds section for your honeymoon. That would have been helpful. <laughs> What are you saying? We overspent. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. <laughs> to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash box. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash box to get your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry on Zola. Zola.com slash box. Z-O-L-A dot com slash box tink that was champagne glasses oh that was that was very nice tink yeah it looked so much bigger in the full color brochure this is the box of oddities so let me ask you this question can you marry someone who's dead um no the answer would be yes no yes you can but only in certain areas Ah, uh, France is one. You can marry a dead person in France. How? That doesn't make any sense. They can't say I do. According to Atlas Obscura, France is a rare country in which it is explicitly legal for a person who is alive to marry somebody who is dead. I don't under... I can't even fathom how that would be considered possible. <laughs> Article one, uh, 171 of the French Civil Code, uh, the laws by which the country are governed, states that, quote, the President of the Republic may, for grave reasons, authorize the celebration of the marriage where one of the future spouses is dead. I can only imagine that that's to benefit someone financially. Well, there are there are some conditions. The living person must prove the couple intended to marry beforehand. Okay, so there had been an engagement. Yes, and uh, had uh, obtained permission to wed from uh, the deceased's family. Okay. If the president chooses to grant the wedding request, the marriage becomes retroactive from the day before the person died. So they were married a day. If you died on Wednesday, then they could say you got married on Tuesday. The living spouse does not receive the right to... Consummate the marriage? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that that's yeah. not part of it. Oh, is that not what you were going to say? No, it's not what I was okay. going to say. They can't acquire the dead person's assets or property. In other words, it's not like some kind of a tax shelter or something. You can get married, but you can't have their stuff. For what purpose? Why? <laughs> yeah. If there's no monetary gain involved, 
Why would you bother? I mean, legitimately. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if it had something to do with like the uh, parental rights or something. Like if you, yes? Yeah, we're getting to that. Okay. If, If the woman was pregnant at the time of her partner's death, the child when born is considered an heir to the deceased. So... If she's pregnant mm-hmm. and the guy dies, right. they can still get married afterwards and her child can inherit his stuff. But the kid's still an heir, regardless of whether or not they were married. I'm just telling you what they do in France. I'm just saying. Now, these... Seaman doesn't care about wedding vows. How do you know? I've met Seaman. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> and Seaman told you this personally? Yes. Okay. It was a late night at a dive bar. Uh-huh, okay. Seaman had one too many highballs. Mm-hmm. It's always the way it happens, with the high balls and all. Mm-hmm. These civil codes were introduced during Napoleon's reign. Now, here's the story behind the edition. It begins with a disaster. In 1959, in December, the Malpasset Dam, just north of the French Riviera, collapsed, and it uh, sent a, a huge wall of water that killed... Over 400 people. Oh, my goodness. Now, when President Charles de Gaulle visited the devastated site, he met a uh, bereaved woman, Irene Jodar, and she pleaded to be allowed to marry her dead fiancé. So on December 31st, the French Parliament passed a law permitting posthumous marriage. Why can't she just be sad about her fiancé? I don't understand. Was she preggers? I don't know. Hundreds of grieving French fiancés have since married their departed sweethearts. According to a study of French posthumous marriages uh, that were granted between 1960 and 1992, found that uh, of 1,654 wedding requests, almost 95% came from women. Guys don't care. (laughs) They're moving on. Women think that... Widow looks hotter on a Tinder profile? I don't get it. (laughs) Posthumous marriages continue to be granted in France. Uh, It's usually under heartbreaking circumstances. Like uh, a few years ago, a 26-year-old married her deceased fiancé and uh, father of two children who had died at 25 in a car accident two days after asking her to marry him. It's not even like you had a long engagement. You're like, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not shaming these people. Like they, you, you have a right to your feelings, and I, you know, I just personally don't understand it. Sure, it's just that's just another thing. Like you need to move on, and that's just add. That's the opposite of moving on. That's moving in. You're right. In China, they have a similar situation. Although Chinese dating and marriage practices are 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 changing. Under the influence of technology, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, there's online dating. But even though those things are happening, traditional family-oriented values still rule. Matchmaking and meddling of parents is still mm. a way of life. They act as marriage brokers. It's big business. To be female and unmarried in China at 30 is to be called, quote, a leftover woman. That's horrendous. And, of course, in 78, they had the implementation of the one-child policy. That's complicated marriages uh, because mostly it's boys that are being born. And the sex ratio is skewed heavily male because of this. A 2011 study found that the sex ratio among newborns rose from 105 males per 100 females to over uh, 120 males per 100 females during the 2000s. So you can see that 
you know, the males are starting to outnumber the females in China. And that's causing a, a bit of a, uh, a marriage crisis, if you will. For sure. According to Chinese custom, older sons ought to marry before their younger brothers. If an older brother should be should die unmarried at a young age, however, uh, there's a solution that keeps the social order intact. It is called ghost marriage. Among the Chinese in Taiwan and Singapore, ghost marriages are performed to address a variety of social or spiritual ills, again, according to Atlas Obscura. Uh, chief among these are the desire to placate the restless spirits of those who go to the grave unmarried. Quote, ghosts with families are liable to direct their discontent within the family circle, according to uh, Chinese ghost marriage. So they want to marry off these dead guys so their ghosts won't haunt the general public, just the people that they've married? Or Yeah. Well, yeah. that's... Most, Rude. most ghost marriages are conducted to unite the spirits of two departed souls rather than wedding a dead person to a living one. Okay. However, oh. that is not always the case. In March of 2013, four men in northern China were sentenced to prison because they were digging up corpses. They had dug up 10 women and they sold them as ghost brides to family of deceased unmarried men. See, what as custom would have it, if they had a corpse bride, then they could perform a wedding ceremony for a dead person already and then bury them together. And the custom says that they are now officially married and not shamed somehow. The women's bodies were intended to be buried alongside the des dead men, in, uh, ensuring eternal companionship. Wow. I mean, it's cultures are neat and I appreciate it's just no. I can't. <laughs> a woman in China who dies single without having had children has no one to worship her memory or tend to her spirit, according to Chinese tradition. A dead woman cannot be memorialized within her family's home. Her spirit tablet, which is a memorial to a, a dead person that is displayed at the home altar that honors the family uh, ancestors, is forbidden from being placed among the family which she grew up. If you die without getting married, then it's almost like they are erasing your memory. A deceased married woman, by contrast, gets to have her spirit tablet put on display in her husband's home. Uh, ghost marriage, therefore, ensures that a woman's spirit can be worshipped by bringing her into the family of a husband who has been chosen for her after her death. I mean, we change rules all the time based on social needs and such. Can Couldn't we just, like, put these unmarried ladies, like, in a fast food restaurant or something, and then they can be worshipped by the people who are enjoying their crispy fried chicken there? <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe they don't have a home with children, but they can still find a home. You know, it's just amongst the fried foods. And next to the ketchup dispenser. I'm just saying there's a place for everyone. Even if it's in a Burger King. Whether it involves a live person or not, ghost marriage is not, uh, is not legal in China. NBC News reports that it was outlawed during the reign of Chairman Mao, but the rituals endure, particularly in the northern regions of the country. Japan has a similar tradition, but instead of them, you know, having actual bodies dug up, sure. they, they marry dolls that represent the spirit of a deceased person. The dead person marries a doll? No, no. The live person marries a doll that represents the spirit of the uh, of the dead person, but it's considered to be a, a legal marriage. I don't... Mm. It's called a bride doll. 
Yeah. I mean, those are big business here too. It's just not called a bride no, doll it's, it's, so much. No, it's that's a whole different industry, sweetie. In Sudan, they have weddings in the wake of fatal feuds. Uh, there's a group over there in southern uh, Sudan. Ghost marriages happen in a very particular way. If a man dies without male heirs, a kinsman frequently marries a wife to the dead man's name, according to uh, Marriage Payments and the Exchange of People, which is a book written by uh, Alice Singer. The biological father then behaves socially like a husband, but the ghost is considered the legal father. So if a guy dies... Mm-hmm. Then his brother, in theory, could marry his fiance, father their children mm-hmm. in his name, in the dead guy's name. And the dead guy is considered the legal father, even though oh, it was his no. brother or relative of some sort. That seems sketchy and like setting yourself up for some family feuds. This arrangement, which often is carried out if a man dies in a feud, is conducted in order to secure, secure both the property and ongoing lineage of the dead man. The woman receives a payment at the time of the ghost marriage, a fee known as bride's price, which might include uh, blood wealth, quote, blood wealth money from those responsible for the death of the man. But what if the the death of the man is, what if the, what if the death is caused by the brother who is then going to father the dead man's babies. Ooh, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, that is a very complicated question that I'm not prepared to answer. Okay. Only because I don't have any answers. Sure. Um, that's a, that's an excellent question. Thank you. But there you go. You know, around the world, in certain areas, you can legally marry a dead guy or woman if that's your preference. I'm firmly against stealing corpses and selling them. For profit. What kind of a wedding reception would you have after marrying a corpse bride? I picture calla lilies. Calla lilies and people, you know, dancing to Footloose, that sort of thing. Yeah, you're definitely going to hear old time rock and roll. (laughs) Of course. Open bar, I imagine. I think it would have to be. (laughs) It certainly would for me to be there. Don't forget our uh, live show is coming up in February on the 27th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville. We hope to see you there. You can get details at theboxofoddities.com. Just click on the live show link. Box of Oddities happens twice a week. We look forward to seeing you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you 
love history, but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.